my cheering crowd. All right, we need to, let's go ahead and get into the word, everybody. Let's pray. <laughs> Father God, we just lift up this time right now. We ask you, Lord, to bless this time, anoint it, speak through me, let everything be accomplished that you will to be done in this time right now. In Jesus' name, we ask you, Holy Spirit, have your way. We thank you, Lord, for a visitation during worship. Lord, just getting out of your way and just letting you do what you want to do. Lord, we thank you for an increase of anointing and the glory tonight. You're taking us to new levels, Lord. <coughs> While I'm on that, I just feel the Lord saying that he's, there's, there's a, a level and a realm. There's a realm of the supernatural, a realm of, of, um, especially in the area of healing that I feel like is coming soon that, that has to do with just people being in God's manifest presence and things just simply happening because they're in his presence. And I feel like that that's, that's on the horizon. It's not far off. I feel like tonight that we went from a level 7 to a level 8. But there's still, there's still two more levels to go, according to the prophetic word of the Lord with Brother Kilpatrick. His, his glory is thick tonight. No, it was it was something because the thing is, while I was trying to worship the Lord, I was just. You know, let me tell you something. Anytime you're about to see God do something, there is always going to be a resistance of the enemy. Before, just remember that. And I told I don't know if it was was telling you about it. I told Sandy before, all day long. I just felt this weird resistance of the enemy and um, just prayed, did everything I'm supposed to do, you know, and got ready for tonight. But even during worship, I was just, you know, uh, just trying to, it felt like I was just pressing through. But as the Lord began to put on my heart to pray, man, it was like the wind of the Spirit of God came in and just blew out that resistance right out the door. But just remember that, because I've learned now, being in this thing long enough, that any time that I feel a spiritual resistance, I really take that as a good sign. I want you to think about it. A lot of people would have took today going through some resistance or whatever. They would have took that and got intimidated by it or got discouraged by it and allowed it to get them in maybe doubt or fear or unbelief for the service, and I used to do that. But once you've been in this thing for very long, you start understanding, wait a second, the enemy is trying to resist this for a reason. God must have something on the horizon. God must have something big. And you start, you, you change the way you think about it. And I've learned even during worship and stuff, I've learned that even if I'm, I'm going through anything where maybe the devil's trying to lie to my mind and, and say something like, you know, nothing's going to happen tonight, whatever, you know. I've learned just to be just sitting there th thanking the Lord. Lord, I thank you. You're going to move tonight. I thank you for hearing and answering every prayer that's been prayed over this service. I thank you. You're going to change lives. And sometimes when you see me pull back, and I know you guys are worshiping, sometimes I pull back from the microphone, and that's what I'm doing. I'm praising God and thanking him for victory and the service. But I've learned to do that. I've learned to just, you know, 
I couldn't do anything if I wanted to. Just fall on him and just trust him. Just trust him. As I was thinking about, you know, honestly, I would be the last person that I would have picked to do what I'm called to do. You know, a lot of times in the in the natural, when people apply for a job, you look at the job applications and you pick the most qualified person. But the Lord, in his wisdom, he will pick the least qualified person. And you know why? It's because of a couple reasons. One is because the person will realize, I don't got what it takes, so I'm just going to have to trust him anyway. That's the main reason. The second reason is because the Bible says he picks the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. It's just like with Peter and Paul. You know, Paul was a Pharisee, and he had all the credentials. I mean, he had lived, he had lived the exemplary Jewish life to where you would have thought when you looked at the Apostle Paul, you would have thought, well, surely the Lord would send Paul to the Jewish people. Think about it. He had all the credentials. Everything about his life was, was as Jewish as you could get. But God picked Paul and stuck him out with the Gentiles where he stuck out like, you know, a fish out of water and, and could not relate in any possible way to those people in the flesh. Those people didn't relate to him. He didn't relate to them in the flesh. The, and he had to totally depend on the Holy Spirit. Peter would have been more qualified to go to the Gentiles because he was more of this outdoorsman, you know, a rough guy. He was somebody that was just, he would have related more to them in the flesh. But how many knows that gets us in trouble sometimes? And, I, you know, I love what, anytime people are out there winning souls, but, you know, sometimes I think people try too hard to connect on the flesh realm. You know, like if I look a certain way, act a certain way, do listen. Sometimes, you know, you know, sometimes maybe God will use something like that. But most of the time, I'll tell you, it's going to be the Spirit of God and it's going to be the work of the Lord. You know, you can take somebody that doesn't, has nothing in common. There's no way that they relate to that person in, in the, in as far as a personality or in the flesh, the way they look, their, their ethnic, uh, they have a similar ethnic background or whatever. None of that matters. Because when the Holy Spirit is dealing with somebody, he's going to change that person and do a work. But I would have never thought in my life I would be called to do anything like what I'm doing for the Lord. Because just, just totally not having the credentials, if you will, to do it. But I really believe that's why the Lord picked me to do it, for that reason alone. And some of you guys that feel called into the ministry, let me just tell you this. If you're looking at it from a perspective of it being something that, yeah, I can do this or whatever, you're going to have to let that die. Because if you can do it, then it's not God. I want to talk to you tonight about history makers. 
early on in the ministry, when God called me into the ministry, I had I had come out of a lot of sin, and I was a baby Christian, and I had a lot of spiritual instabilities still in my life, a lot. And I was really sincere in my heart. You know, God knows the heart, amen? The thing is, people judge by the outward, but God knows the heart. That's what matters. And a lot of people that would have looked at me on the outside would have been like, well, God could never use that person. And I would have thought the same thing. But deep down, I really loved the Lord, and I was really sincere. And the Lord knew that. And I remember when I was like 19 years old, I was in the service, and um, I had gone there. Just I was hungry for the Lord. God had touched my life at Brownsville, which I've shared many times, and just baptized me with fire. I mean, I was a totally different person. And um, what the Lord did was at that time was he changed my whole attitude and outlook on ministry, and that's why things are the way they are even now. Because, see, what I was doing in the ministry was I was doing what I thought was the right thing to do, but I was doing everything within my power just to get people's bottoms in the seat. I was working as a youth pastor, and, I, and, I, and it, was, it was good. I mean, we were doing a lot of stuff to get out there and get people in. We were doing a lot of the pizza parties and a lot of the lock-ins and a lot of fun stuff. And there was a lot of people coming around. It was great as far as that aspect of it goes, but yet, spiritually speaking, it was shallow. People, they were still, a lot of them were still worldly. A lot of them, you know, it's very questionable if they were even saved, let alone coming to church for the right motives, the right reasons, you know. It was just a social club. It was a hangout. And when I went to Brownsville and I saw people just lined up, and here they were, they, they, had, they were lined up for what seemed like about half a mile outside the church. Hungry, had been there out in the heat, some of them there since 2 in the morning, Hungry to get in. Once you get in, just seeing the desperation on people, just people's fire, their passion for the Lord, seeing all these lost people running down to get saved, my whole world was just, it was very challenged. It was, it was as though I was realizing how shallow everything really was. And I'm going to tell you, just remember this. I, don't, I do not buy into it because God's already dealt with me about it when I was a kid. Okay, in the ministry, I don't buy into all this stuff about, you know, do whatever it takes to get people there and then just make everybody happy, la la thing. I don't buy into that garbage. I've seen it for myself and I've seen how shallow it is and I've seen how it, it, it'll ruin people's lives because people think that they're saving on the way to heaven because they go to a little youth thing or a church or whatever. And the fact of the matter is they're, they're far from God. But whenever the Holy Spirit comes in, he will do things that it's not possible that you can do. I've had times where I've preached and people come up to me and they'll say, you said this and it changed my life. And they'll say something. I don't think I said it. I really don't. But see, the Holy Spirit said it. Do you hear what I'm saying? I remember I've heard that a few times. I was like, remember, that wasn't even in my sermon. I don't think I, I was thinking, I don't think I said that. And I still don't think I said that. As I would remember it. But let me tell you, see, that shows, you know, that's like, that shows how inadequate I am. I couldn't even say it. The Lord had to do it for me. You see what I'm saying? But the Holy Spirit knows what to say and how to get through to people. When the Holy Spirit comes in, he'll convict people of their sin. 
He'll change people. He'll change people's hearts. And it grieves me seeing what the devil's doing in these end times to people because he's trying to pull the church back away from these things I'm talking about. And I'm just, I'm not doing it, man. I'm not going to go with that flow. But anyway, after Brownsville, and I was at this church meeting, there was a guy there. And uh, I feel like that you guys are here for a reason. One of these days, all these prophetic words that have come from people that we all highly respect are going to come to pass. And we're going to see the things that, that people say, oh, well, that's outwardly that's successful. You know what's successful, though? Just being obedient. That's successful. But anyway, that's all going to happen one day, whatever. But I believe that you're here now for a reason, just like I was there in that meeting for a reason. Here I was in this little church out in Ennis. Many of you probably don't know where Ennis is. It's a little bit town. And um, I was there, and as I was just worshiping the Lord with everybody else, the Lord had a collision with my destiny that night, and I didn't realize it. And there was a guy that called me out, and he said that um, the Lord had done this to him when he was my age. He said the Lord had passed this mantle from London and felt led to pass it to me and prayed for me. Now, that came into my life when I was still really young in the Lord and still had a lot to learn and was still very unstable in my Christian walk. And somebody listening to this will say, well, you know, they feel young and they, they feel unstable. They feel like they're inadequate. They feel like, how could God ever use me and all this stuff? The fact of the matter is, God looks at the heart. And it doesn't matter about any of the other stuff. It really doesn't. And when that mantle came, the Lord really started moving in my life. And little did I know how far he would take it. But I honestly would be happy spending the rest of my life in his presence with a handful of people going after God. I really would. Then I would. If God... You know, if something happened where I was plucked up and stuck in some dead, dry church with a bunch of people, all that stuff, I would be miserable. Even though in the, in the natural, there might be all these things. You know, there might be this, you know, uh, bigger salary and, you know, like a, more of a prestige or whatever. I would be miserable because I would be up there praying for God to move. I would want his presence. I would, you know. you'll have what you're after what's in your heart what are you after because you'll end up having it you know I've known people that um, there was one minister in particular he was just very he was very ambitious what he wanted he um, he wanted to he was in a particular denomination and he wanted to climb up the ladder in that denomination and end up being up in the hierarchy of that particular denomination, you know what I'm talking about in the in the governmental positions, and um, he based his decisions 
in life on that ambition. Who he would associate with, who he wouldn't, what he would do, what he wouldn't do, etc. And it didn't take me long until him and I just didn't hang out very much. You know, it didn't it didn't last long. Because even when I was in Bible school, that was the whole mentality of a lot of people. Some of you guys are so sheltered in this in River of Life, you have no idea what I'm talking about, and I pray that you never do. But I was surrounded by people that wanted the publicity. They wanted to be a part of something big. They they wanted all they wanted was was their name in the lights. You know, um, does that make sense? They they wanted to be in the big time or whatever they thought that was. You know. And it was similar to this guy. There, there's just something in them that was going after those things. To meet the right people and be in the right place, to be in some huge fancy building and, and have a big reputation. And, some, and let me tell you, whenever I was uh, working among, it, I was actually like in the youth ministry at the time, but when I was around a lot of that stuff, I would go to some of these pastor's meetings, you know, and um, man, it was it was bad. I mean, it it really felt so uncomfortable there. You would think, you would think, because I thought it. You would think that if a group of pastors got together, it'd be all loving and happy and everybody getting along. Man, it was the most cold, sterile environment you could imagine. People were distant. They were jealous of one another. Competitive. It was uncomfortable. Even though I was only like 19, 20 years old, I was a baby Christian. I was uncomfortable there and didn't like going. What do you want? Do you want to get caught up in that, all that, you know what I'm talking about, the the political, the money? Or do you want him because you can't have both? run through a sermon this just really I wanted to talk to you from my heart with this I'm going to talk about history makers I studied out history makers in the past and I wanted to know some of you guys may be familiar with Robert Lairdon's books on God's generals and all that there's other people that have have done a study but I wanted to know what is it that God could trust certain people to really change history. And now not all of them were well known. Some people died a martyr's death on the mission field and were never really known about anything, but they changed the world. The one thing that I found the most common was their prayer life. That's the one thing that I found is a common thread through all the history makers that I studied was they knew the Lord in the secret place. And early on in ministry, when I was seeking the Lord, because when he showed me that, I wanted to learn how to pray, and I wanted to learn how to find him in the secret place. So that was the goal. And man, 
It didn't fit. See, I was around a religious structure, but I didn't want to be religious. I was going after the move of God. And let me tell you, it won't. It will not cohabitate. I tried. It will not cohabitate because when that fire burns, that religious spirit will attack it. And let me tell you, I had no idea how vicious some people could be. But when somebody's under the influence of a spirit of darkness, they'll do they'll do things you wouldn't think they would do to stop whatever it is they feel like they need to stop. And some of you guys are hungry for God to move and, and get out and start seeing people's lives change and all that more than we have. And I am too. But you just wait. Because I've already been there. God, God specifically put me through some of that stuff to harden me to. Because I don't care anymore. You know, somebody could say to me whatever, and it's kind of like, you know, it's not unloving. It's just that I'm not going to buckle under a religious spirit. Just, I'm not going to do it. You know, people thought Jesus, I guarantee if you saw Jesus when he talked to the Pharisees, you would have thought, man, he's rough. Read the Bible. You would have thought, man, you know. But anyway, let me run through some stuff because I really believe that some of you guys, you want to be history makers. Let me tell you, I'll reference a couple revivals and things that I'm really familiar with. One of them will obviously be Brownsville, but, you know, all the people at Brownsville, all of those there that were in that church and a part of that revival made history. It affected America, it affected the whole world. And you're talking about people just like you that were prayer, prayer warriors, worship team members of a local church. You know, Lyndall didn't go hire a bunch of professionals, okay? They just worked with the people at the church. Altar workers that were just normal church-going people that the Spirit of God came upon in power and began to use them in a way that they'd never been used. But that collective group of people made history. Over 4 million people came through there, and their lives were transformed. I was one of them. But let me go through this, and I pray that by the Spirit of God, this will get in you. And Lord, I pray, let it burn into us and become a part of who we are. Let us never forget it. I pray that what you did in my life in Brownsville so many years ago, I believe it was 1996, around the springtime, I pray, Lord, that you would also transform all of our lives, transform lives, change the whole paradigm of thinking. In Jesus' name we pray. But paying the price now for greatness. Listen, you've got to get a vision of your destiny. A lot of the problems that people have is, is you don't, a lot of people don't see their calling in their future. One of the graces that God had given me back then was I knew that I was called, and I knew that I would be doing what I'm doing now about moving in the anointing and such. I just knew it in my spirit, and I saw things. I saw things that are to come that I will see in my lifetime, but I haven't seen them yet. And because of all of that, it I, I was 
I began to go after God on my own in a personal pursuit of finding him in the secret place and studying the word. And learning how to pray. And what you got to understand is, is that learning how to operate in the anointing and stuff, to me and my personal experience, came more out of my personal prayer life than it actually did operating in church. Because in my own personal prayer life, I began to learn how to move with the Holy Spirit. Pray about this, read this, do this. I got messages in tongues and interpretation in my own private time. The Lord would speak to me things, give me revelation. Stuff out of the Word of God that I, I never even thought I would understand. But the Holy Spirit will show you if you ask Him. He'll show anybody. And God began to show me things. But I'm going to tell you this. You've got to get a vision and a revelation about what you're called to do because I'm telling you, you're here for a reason at this time in your life. It is a preparation time for something that you probably have no idea really. And if you ever really got a hold of that and really got a vision of how God's wanting to use you, you know, throughout school or in another field, but whatever, people realize, okay, maybe that they have a future in something like sports. Maybe they really are good enough to go pro. And they get a vision for that. And so they really start going after it, you know. They really start pursuing that. And you'll see them at home on their own doing things. the exercises of they're doing it on their own they're after it themselves the thing is what i'm telling you is history makers will find will get something from heaven they'll get a revelation from the lord about their calling and they start pursuing the lord and the preparation of the lord on their own they don't have to have a pastor telling them hey you know you need to but they, they're just they're desperate and they're going after it there's something that god's doing in them that's one of the earmarks of the history makers that I've studied. Evan, Evan Roberts knew in his, in his spirit, he knew revival was coming to Wales. And he began to seek the Lord. And in his deep intercession to the Lord, God showed him this, this machine. You remember back in the day, cha-ching, and this little ticket came out. And on the ticket it said 100,000 souls. It's estimated that 100,000 souls was saved before the revival was even going too long. And his own personal prayer life, as he was seeking the Lord in the secret place by himself, nobody knew, nobody understood the guy. He was a little different because of it. And he would walk down the street and he would be talking to the Lord. Like, you remember how you read about Enoch, walk with God. And some people thought he was a little weird, like he was talking to himself. He wasn't talking to himself. He wasn't weird. He had become sensitive to the Holy Spirit. There's a difference. You see what I'm saying? He had become sensitive. And at home in his own personal life, the Lord began to visit him at night. And sometimes he said the Spirit of God would come upon him and his body would just tremble under the power of God in his bed by himself at night. And he'd be wo woken up out of his sleep with the power of God all over him like two or three in the morning and it would last for a while. And then it would lift. He didn't even want to leave home to go to school because he was worried that he would leave that behind him. That's how much he loved God's presence. 
But he was paying the price in the secret place. And let me tell you, all of Wales was impacted by that revival. Not only Wales, but many believe that the, a, a spark of fire jumped out of Wales and landed at Azusa Street. And Azusa Street was a continuation. But what you've got to do is you've got to look to the future and prepare for the future and quit just looking at the here and now. This is my mundane day. I'm going to work today. You know, I'm going to school today. And then I'm going to get home. I'm going to watch my TV show. You know, get out of all of that mentality. That's how everybody else lives. History makers think, okay, I have a destiny, and God's trying to prepare me. What is the Lord wanting to do today in my life? What do I need to learn today? David's travels were listed in 1 Samuel 19 through 22. In my early years of ministry, this was after the youth part. I had gotten on staff at the church, and the Lord was preparing me there too. And it was an interesting time. But anyway, I love River of Life. Let me just say that. But anyway. <laughs> All right. But the Lord showed me some stuff about King David. And King David kind of did for spiritual authority what Abraham did for faith. Now listen, I'm not going to read through all of it. You can read on your own this next week if you want to, 1 Samuel 19 through 22, and study it out, okay? It's really interesting. But the Lord gave me this and showed me seven places that King David stopped along his journey that was preparing him for his destiny. And the Lord took this in my life, and he put specific books and teachings and things in my life about each one of these categories, and I studied it out on my own. I wanted to know for myself. I want to know what the word says for myself. And the first thing the Lord did was he showed me the first place that David went after he was having issues with King Saul was Naioth and Ramah. And Naioth and Ramah means a high place. That's what it means, a high place. This is where we start learning our authority and our position in Christ. And I'll never forget, I'm just, I'm kind of just sharing with you my journey here tonight. But anyway, I remember being at this church by myself at night because I was so hungry for this stuff. And I was there where I was on staff. The only light I would turn on would be up toward on the platform. They had individual lights. I'd turn on a light. I was there by myself. Had some worship going. This was back in the days of cassette tapes. Some of you remember. <laughs> yeah, I hate cassette tapes. Anyway, because <laughs> it was like as they would get to the end, you know, you had to st go over there and stop it and all that. Thank God for iPods. Amen? All right. So, anyway, this was days of cassette tapes. And uh, I, remember, I remember studying this book by Kenneth Hagin called The Authority of the Believer. And I remember reading and studying that book, and this was the first time I ever understood that I actually have authority. The Bible says I have authority over the enemy, authority over evil spirits. I have authority. You know, when I pray for people, I should pray with authority. You know, commanding sickness to be cursed and leave in Jesus' name, commanding the, if there's a demonic thing to go. And I, and I started really understanding, wait a second, I actually have authority. 
and this revelation came to me, and it revolutionized my prayer life. And that was what the Lord showed me is this was David's first stop was Naoth and Ramah, a high place. I had to learn to come up to a high place and understand who I am and what I have in Christ. You do too. You've got to get a revelation for yourself that you really do have authority over sickness. You really do have authority over the enemy. And I started praying for people different. I started praying for, for lost people different. Instead of just praying, oh, Lord, please save them, whatever you do, God will hear that. But instead of just doing that, I was also like, all right, in Jesus' name, I bind the devil away from them. You're not going to have them. I have authority. You back off. I, and then I would rebuke the enemy. And then I would pray, Lord, send your Holy Spirit. And you know what? As I started praying that way, things started really happening. The next place that David stopped was at a place called Azel. David had a really close friendship with Jonathan, Saul's son. And Jonathan really spent, secretly was speaking to David in a way that saved David's life because King Saul was trying to kill him. And the Lord spoke to me that Jonathan was kind of like the Holy Spirit is to us. He's trying to, he's trying to show us things and reveal things to us and guide us, you know. And the Lord just simply used this in my life. But I had to learn the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Now, for me personally, I was walking through this Christian bookstore. And I remember seeing a book by Benny Hinn called The Anointing. Now, it was his second book. His first book was Good Morning, Holy Spirit, but his second one was The Anointing. But I remember walking, and I saw The Anointing, and I remember feeling like such a, a, like I had to buy it. I mean, I felt drawn to that book, and I got it. And I'll never forget, this is just what the Lord was doing, because I'm not really a crier, you know, type. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that. I'm just, that's just not really me. But I remember in my own time, I remember reading that book and weeping through almost all of it for no reason. You know, I didn't stub my toe. It was just the Holy Spirit. But I remember weeping through it. And I remember having, having a heart for what God was doing through Benny Hinn's ministry. And um, I remember going to some of his meetings and God really touching my life. But God had to teach me the personal work of the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you, the Holy Spirit, he is a person. He is here in this room. He's listening to what I'm saying. He's watching over us. You know, he's the one that came in such a strong way earlier. He's the one that whenever you pray for the sick, he's the one that actually makes the healing happen. When you drive out the enemy, it's him that actually, you know, knocks him out. The third place was Nob. What a name. Everybody say Nob. <laughs> yeah. David went to Nob, and that actually means fruit. Well, listen, this is interesting. David met with the priest there, Ahimelech. And many of you might remember Abiathar that was with David later on, but that was one. this was where he came from, actually. But anyway, Ahimelech was, was the priest there that was in charge. And David went there. Think about this story. David went there with his mighty men, and they were hungry. And they went to the priest. And there with the priest, David said, do you have anything for my men to eat? And he said, only the, the consecrated bread, as long as your men have kept themselves holy, in which they had, so they ate the bread. 
And David in that place said, Saul's after me. Do you have anything here? And and Ahimelech said, well, he said, when you killed Goliath in the Valley of Elah, he said, the sword that you used to cut his head off is here. And David said, there's not another sword like it. Let me have it. See, David went at Goliath with just a sling, but he ended up cutting his head off with his own sword. But let me tell you what Nob represents. It represents learning how to pray and learning how to die to the flesh. So God first taught me the authority, then he taught me about the Holy Spirit, and then he started teaching me how to pray and how to die to the flesh. Because in that place, there was this evil man. He was an Edomite named Doeg. And um, to make a long story short, he ended up killing all the priests there in that town. Because Saul wanted him to, because Saul was threatened by David. And those priests ended up, it cost them their life because they helped David. But this represents learning how to pray. And God brought some teaching into my life by Larry Lee called Could You Not Tarry One Hour? And really taught me how to pray. And my prayer life took off. I've shared this before, but before I knew how to pray, it was like, okay, I I knew history makers had a prayer life. Okay, so I was going after it, right? And I'd go in there and push play on the worship. And I'd be in there, and it was just like, you know, like wanting to beat your head up against the wall and not knowing what to do. But then after a little while, after learning how to pray, It was something I looked forward to. Once you learn how to pray, it's not something that's, you know, a difficult thing or a chore. Some of you guys know about chores. When I was growing up, had chores. You'll always have chores the rest of your life, so get used to it. But anyway, but it shouldn't, prayer shouldn't be a chore like mowing the lawn or something, you know, it's got to be done. Or picking up poop, as some some have told me their chore is or whatever. (laughs) Anyway, whatever your chore is, it shouldn't be like that. Prayer should be enjoyable, but you've got to learn how to pray. And learn how to die to the flesh. See, Edom, Edom represents the flesh because they're descend, the descendants of Esau. And I don't want to get too much on that, but Esau represents the flesh. God said that he hated Esau in the Bible. It actually says that in the Bible. But it's, Esau represented the flesh. The flesh doesn't care about the things of the Spirit of God. That's why Esau didn't care anything about his birthright. He didn't care anything about his inheritance or anything. or, You know, was careless. Number four, then the Lord showed me David went to Gath, which means the crushed grape. Sometimes whenever you read about the grape being crushed in the Bible, it talks about the blood of the grape. And I knew that it represented the blood of Jesus. When David went to Gath, which is a city among the Philistines, I believe there was five major cities. It was one of the, the major cities. When David went among the Philistines, This was a very difficult time in his life. At one point, he had to pretend like he was insane to 
because they wanted to kill him. He was riding with the Philistine army. What was he thinking? Okay, But he was going through a very difficult time in his life. But let me tell you something. That represents learning about the power of the blood of Jesus. God will put you through some difficult times in life, but you've got to learn about the power of the blood. Once you learn about the power of the blood, you understand that daily you can be covered fresh in the blood of Jesus, that daily the blood will come over your life, and because of the blood, you can go into the Holy of Holies. The blood comes over your life and brings protection from the enemy. The next place that David went was Mizpah, which represents a watchtower. It actually means a watchtower in the Hebrew. Many of you remember the scripture. It says the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are saved. This is the place where you start learning the power of Jesus' name. Did you know you can go up to a demon, demonized person, a demon manifest? You can say in the name of Buddha and they'll laugh. You say in the name of Muhammad, nothing's going to happen. But if you say the name Jesus, they'll go berserk. Once you really understand the power of his name and have faith in his name, that what you say in his name has power, it has authority. That is what God began to teach me in this journey as I went to Mizpah, spiritually speaking, and learned about the power of the name of the Lord and also the power of words. The power of life and death is in the tongue. We've got to be careful what's coming out of our mouths to make sure that we're not speaking out things that are cursed. The sixth place God took me in this journey was where David went to Judah. Judah means praise. And a lot of times when Israel would go into battle, they would always send Judah first because there's power in praise. And God put a book in my life about a lot of these things. I forgot to mention about the blood. He put that book by Benny Hinn called The Blood in My Life. And, um, but here about praise, God put that book in my life, Glory, by uh, Ruth Ford Heflin. And I began to learn about the power of praise and worship. There was an elderly lady that was kind of discipling me some and had given me that book. And I was like, wow. It was really life-changing to me at the time. But there's power in praise. I can't get bogged down on it. But your praise, when you praise God, it releases God. The Bible says in Isaiah, with this, with him, God taking his fist and striking the enemy is to the sound of praise, is to the sound of the musical instruments, the cymbals. Think about that. The Lord said every time he strikes the enemy with his fist, it's to the sound of praise. Praise is powerful. Worship is powerful. What takes you into God's presence really is His wor- is worship, when you're worshiping the Lord. You know, tonight as we were singing in the Spirit and worshiping, what happened? We went into His presence. Then number seven was Hareth, which actually translates in the Hebrew a forest or thicket. And this has to do with the last journey, and that is seclusion and suffering the part nobody wants to talk about. You know, we all like learning about our authority. 
woohoo, you know, get all excited. We all like learning about, you know, the Holy Spirit and the anointing, how to pray and all these awesome things. But then you come to Hareth, and the Lord takes you in seclusion and lets you suffer some and starts getting out of you things that needs to go. But let me move on because that leads me to other points here. The first thing about a history maker is that they're risk takers. That's number one, they're risk takers. You know, some people will sit back their whole life and every time there's a chance for them to step out in faith and take a chance to be a risk taker and just go for it, they always shrink back in fear and they don't ever really do it. Think about David when it came time for Goliath, how easy it would have been. You're talking about a risk. But how easy it would have been for David to shrink back like everybody else. But that, that moment in his life was what actually launched him into his destiny. It was when he killed Goliath that everybody started singing about David. They sang songs about the man. That was whenever King Saul brought him into the palace and he would play the harp. That was whenever he ended up marrying. It led to him marrying uh, Saul's daughter. Anyway, I'm just saying that that was the beginning. But if David had never stepped out and took a risk, your greatest miracles, the greatest things in your life are going to be risks. God's going to require you to step out in faith about things. Now, you know what faith is? There was a man that Smith Wigglesworth had prayed for that did not have feet. And uh, Smith Wigglesworth had commanded feet to grow. True story. He went down, I guess in a wheelchair or whatever, but he, this was his faith. He went down to the shoe store and was going to buy a pair of shoes by faith. And the story goes that as he bought the shoes, people looked at him like he was crazy. Didn't have any feet. But as he opened the shoes and started sticking his leg toward it, his, the feet grew out into the shoe. But see, that's a risk taker that steps out on faith. Because when you step out on faith, let me just tell you how it is because I've had to do it. When you step out on faith, it's like this. Your foot's in the air, and you don't know what's going to be there when it lands. Is there going to be solid ground or not? It's like your foot's in the air, and you're just stepping out totally in faith. And then whenever your foot hits, you're just like, thank you, Jesus. Because you don't know, that's faith. Risk taker. When revival breaks out, being willing to run with the Lord. All right, the second thing about history makers is, is, is they're radical. Jesus was different than anything at that time. You know what people remarked about Jesus? They would say this about him. They would say, wow, this guy teaches and preaches as one with authority, not like the teachers of the law. Now think about the teachers of the law that heard them saying that. See, that's, that's the reason why they hated Jesus, right? Well, that was one of the reasons right there. 
because they were jealous of what was going on through his ministry. But they would say about Jesus, this guy's different. We've never seen this before. All of a sudden, there's somebody that stands up in church, and they hadn't seen this in the Sanhedrin, stand up in church and be like, hey, you with the withered hand, stretch it out. That would publicly, in front of everybody, point at some demon-possessed person and say, come out, and the person would convulse, fall on the ground as a demon came out of him. And they would remark about this man. But he was, di- let me tell you, let this sink in. He was different than anything else in all of Israel. Do you really understand and think about that? It was a culture shock. They're like, well, who's this guy? Man, look at that. You know, it was like totally different than anything they had seen. The thing about history makers is, is they're willing to be different. Everybody say that. I'm willing to be different. And my response to that is, I hope you are, because whenever you're different, that's what brings a lot of the persecution is just by virtue of the fact that you are different. Watch this, Isaiah 49, 1 through 4. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, you can turn to this if you want to, but just let me read it to you. Before I was born, the Lord called me. Did you know before you were born, the Lord knew who you were? And that your calling is before you were born? From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. Verse 2. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. Everybody wants that, right? In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I've labored labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing at all. Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand and my reward is with God. But I want you to look at verse 2. In the shadow of his hand he hid me. He made me a polished arrow, concealed me in his quiver, and then he said, I will display my splendor. Okay, so here's how it works. The same paradigm as what I've said before about the Lord takes you like bread. He blesses you, that's the fun part. Then he breaks you. Nobody likes the breaking. But then he distributes you out right here. The Lord takes you unto himself. In the shadow of his hand, he will hide you. He made me like a polished arrow. He'll polish you and clean you up. That's what God's doing in many of your lives. He's really refining you. And then he will conceal you in his quiver. Then after that, he will use you to display his splendor, his glory through you. Some of you have felt like, okay, what's going on? But the Lord is polishing you. He's got you hidden in a place where he's working on you. He's polishing you. He's refining you. He's preparing you. He's got you concealed away in his quiver because it's not your time yet. But when it is your time, he'll take you out. And because you submitted to the process, he will display 
his splendor through you. Can you imagine the arrow of the Lord? The Lord's trying to, trying to polish the arrow, and the arrow doesn't like the polishing. And every time he goes to polish the arrow, the arrow moves, and so he can't clean the arrow. And then later on, the Lord has to use a different arrow because that arrow was not going to be able to be used. Be willing to be different. I can't stress that enough. Be the one that God does not have to pass you by. Do you realize that in history that William Seymour, who pastored the Azusa Street Revival, changed the whole world, restored the baptism in the Holy Ghost to the body of Christ, was the father of modern-day missions. Did you know he was not God's first choice? I want you to think about that. How would you like to go down in history having been the guy or the lady that God wanted to use, but he had to use somebody else? There was a man who was a pastor, powerfully used of God, and God, that was his, God's original choice was through him. I can't remember his name. But because of the pressure of the people in his church, he began to pull back away from revival. And God looked around to find somebody. Okay, this arrow isn't going to work. He's bending to the will of the people instead of my will. because they were having too many church services or whatever, the people were grumbling and complaining. He began to pull back from revival. So the Lord began to look around, and his eyes fell upon a humble man that was going after God with all of his heart on Bonnie Bray Street by the name of William Seymour. He had a handful of people in a house, and the power of God fell, and that was the birth of the Great Azusa Street Revival. And he was faithful. I'll tell you about William Seymour, somebody that's a history maker. He would not let man manipulate or control. Think about what I just said. The guy who God originally picked was allowing people to manipulate him. William Seymour, was he was not one to put up with it at all. As a matter of fact, when the revival was raging, people were coming in. He was concerned about a few things. He wanted to make sure that he was, every, all of his, you know, I's were dotted, all of his T's were crossed, and everything was where it needed to be. And so he calls his spiritual father to come in. But the spiritual father, let me tell you, sometimes previous generations don't understand what God's doing now. Sometimes those that were used in revival in the past will actually persecute the revival of today. And this guy came in, and he was, he was persecuting the revival. He said, I don't agree with all this nonsense. He was real negative. And William Seymour, listen, William Seymour so loved God and so loved what God was doing that he kicked his own spiritual father out and padlocked him out. Nobody knows what he said, but he was willing to go with God even if it meant losing a relationship that really meant something to him. And that revival continued for about two and a half years and was really powerful. Think about how hard that was for him to have to do that. 
I'm sure he did it with tears. John Kilpatrick also was not God's first choice, and he'll tell you that. Catherine Kuhlman says she was not God's first choice, that she knew for a fact that there was somebody else called to do what she was doing, and they said no. And it ended up coming on her. I don't want to be the guy that the Lord says, I wish I could use you, but I'm going to have to use somebody else. Be willing to be persecuted. Be willing to be misunderstood. You know what prejudice is? There's a spirit of bigotry that's out there. But what it is, it's, it's a spirit that wants everybody to be the same. And when you're different, they persecute somebody that's different just because they're different. It doesn't matter if they're right or wrong. It's just the fact that they're different than what they're used to. So in other words, if they're used to dead church and they go into revival, some people that have that about them will criticize and persecute what's going on just because it's different than what they're used to. Do you hear what I'm saying? During some revivals, people will go, Christians will go to some movements of God and it would take them literally several church services before they could even admit that God was at work. What is wrong with some people? It's, it's, a, it's what the Bible refers to as a religious spirit. Are you willing to be a risk taker? Are you willing to be radical? The last thing I want to talk about is a revolutionary faith. I love this scripture about Enoch and uh, Abraham and some of these guys, but listen to this. By faith, Hebrews 11, 5 through 12, by faith Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. And he quoted Genesis, he could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. Everybody say, without faith. It's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So by faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By faith, he, was, uh, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. Think about Noah. This is somebody that's seen the future, if you will. God showed him what was going to happen. And he began to prepare for the future. And the whole time he's heard from God and he's preparing for the future, he's being persecuted, made fun of. Verse 8, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place, he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. You remember me telling you your foot's in the air and you have no idea? Abraham stepped out in faith, not even knowing where he's going. God said, leave, I will show you. Abraham packs up his whole livelihood, his whole family who are all dependent on him, and they begin this journey of blindly just following God. 
Verse 9, by faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him in the same promise. Verse 10, I love this. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. People that have seen their future, they've seen their destiny. They are going with God like Abraham did in faith that he is the architect who is creating something for their future. I love that scripture about Abraham, whose foundations, whose architect and builder is God. He was looking for that city. Those that know that they know that something's on the horizon, they will keep moving. You know, one of the things about Jeremy when he's been here, Pastor Jeremy's preached a few times, he's preached on faith and he's preached like this. Now, I want you to remember this. When you have guest speakers in, it's important because I won't have somebody in unless they're the type to hear from God, okay? But anyway, so it's important to hear what they're preaching. Why is he preaching about faith? Why did he preach about faith twice? Because that's something God's really trying to get in you and me. It's not just a matter of looking at your present circumstances but it's continually looking to the future and your destiny that God has shown you. It's okay, but I want to know how many people here, you feel like God has shown you your destiny, you've seen your future, what he's really called you to do, and you really understand it. You've seen it. There's something God's shown you. How many people can say that? Look at me, wave at me. Just a handful of people. Think about that. Let God begin to show you your destiny. What is it that you're really called to do? Believe that you can be a world changer. You may be the person that God passes somebody else by and it lands on you. You may be the one that somebody else was disqualified, but yet you're the next person in line and God uses you in an awesome way. See, God sees things different than we do. You know, when I look out over some place like Rockwall, I love Rockwall and I, I like living here. It's a, it's a nice place. But spiritually speaking, you know, I've been less than thrilled about what's around here, you know. And, um, but let me just say that God doesn't look at it like that. How many knows that dry wood catches fire pretty quick? You know, we look at this and go, my goodness, dry wood, okay? But then the Lord says, you know what, though? A little spark will, will burst dry wood into flames. You know, sometimes it's easier for God to send revival when it's really a, a desert parched land than it is when you get around some Christians that's already got something going. We like what we got going just fine, thank you. I like, oh, will keep what you got going, you know. But whenever you get around people that, have, that are really dry and dead and they have an encounter with God, it's like life from the dead, seriously. See, this is the way God sees places like Rockwall, okay? The hand of the Lord was upon me, as Ezekiel 37. He brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. It's the way I see this place. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones. I'm serious. This really is the way I see this place. A great many bones, bleach bones, dry bones, 
And he asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? O sovereign Lord, only you know such a thing. Verse 4. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons and flesh to you. I will cover you with skin. I will put breath in you. You will come to life and you'll know that I'm the Lord. Verse 7. So I prophesied as I was commanded. As I was prophesying, the power of your mouth, the power of words. As I was prophesying, while it was coming out of his mouth, there was a noise, a rattling sound, as bones began to come together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them. Skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, the Lord said to Ezekiel, prophesy to the breath, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come and breathe from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. So everybody say this after me, dead bones. bones. Now an army. That's how God saw them. When God saw the valley of dry bones, God saw an army. When Ezekiel saw the valley of dead bones, he saw dead bones. Now here's the thing. We look at it and we see dead bones, but God sees an army. History makers have a revolutionary faith to believe God. You know what I believe? I believe that God sometimes takes longer because he's weeding out those that are of faith apart from those that are not of faith. Because how many knows faith, when faith is tested with time, the longer something takes, people of faith will stay with it, but people that lack faith will shrink back. Just like, for example, Abraham had to wait all those years before he had that son. To the point that Sarah laughed when the Lord spoke and said, by this time next year you'll have a son. Sarah laughed in her tent. And the Lord is sitting there talking to Abraham face to face, and the Lord said, why would your wife laugh? And then he goes back in the tent. This is pretty typical. He goes back in the tent and goes, hey, why would you laugh? And she goes, I didn't laugh. I mean, you know, sometimes... Sometimes our spouse will get on to us or whatever, and, and the first reaction is, no, not me. But Abraham said, oh, oh, yes, you did laugh. Talking about typical marriage conversations right there, right? One spouse says, would you do that? No, I didn't do that. Yes, you did. But here's some mistakes that have been made in history. Throughout history, God has has used people that would be history makers. They were radical. They were risky. They were willing to take risks. They were radical. They were willing to be different. They were willing to be persecuted. They had a revolutionary faith. If they were willing to keep going toward a goal, toward a vision God had given them, even though everybody else didn't believe in them. But even though revival would break out, mistakes that have been made in history is, number one, not having good discipleship in place. That's why I put together a website, because I want to have discipleship in place. Number two, trying to step out of their calling. Listen to me. If you're called to something, don't try to be something that you're not. There are people out there that are evangelists that are trying to pastor a church. 
there are people out there that, that are called to be something, and then they're trying to do something completely different than what they're called to do. Number one, they're not even doing that good of a job because they're not called to do it. But number two, they're out of the will of God. If an evangelist is trying to pastor, then how is he winning souls? That's what he's called to do. You hear what I'm saying? Let her see they're trying to use their spiritual gifts in a secular political world. And I just recently had to kind of, in a gentle, loving way, kind of rebuke a guy. Listen, you don't use your, your, your spiritual gifts for secular means. There was a, I'm not going to say the name, but there was a particular individual back in the late 1800s, early 1900s, had a very apostolic gifting on his life. But he started trying to use that to become like a mayor and a governor of a city and trying to use that in the secular political realm. There was nothing good that came from that. There's a reason why there's secular kingdom and then there's the kingdom of God. Two different things. If you're trying to take your spiritual authority, spiritual gifts, and do something else with it, God's not going to bless that. Now, there are people that are called, and there needs to be Christians that are called to work in government or whatever. Praise God. But if somebody is the pastor of a church and they're called to be a pastor, why would they step down from that and lower themselves to get involved in secular politics? Your spiritual calling is more important, what you're called to do spiritually. Most importantly, that you do what you're called to do and don't try to prostitute your gifting by doing something like that. Amen? There's people that were gifted, and there's several people that fit this category, were gifted in the church, learned how to sing, in the church, learned how to do, you know, play instruments, were even anointed. But they saw, you know, the glimmer of fame, the seduction of money, and now some of those very people that grew up in church are now running around half naked singing songs in front of thousands and thousands of people, and they got a lot of money, but they've prostituted themselves to the world. They've sold out, sold out Jesus for money and fame. The next thing is, be careful of this and listen to me. One of the things that I, I will not put up with, just because somebody's been used in past revivals, listen, honor the fathers and mothers of the faith, honor them. But if somebody comes in and they're going to start persecuting the next move of God, don't put up with it. Because historically speaking, people that have been used powerfully in the past have persecuted the next move of God and the next leaders of the move of God. Don't think it won't happen because I've already seen, even, even recently I've, see, I've seen and heard of that to some degree happening. People that have been used powerfully in the past, a lot of times they think that they're the judge and the jury. They think, oh man, if God's going to do something, he's going to check with me first. And they start getting this, this air of superiority about them and then God starts doing out something outside of them and they want to control it. And they want to say, well, that's different than what God used me, so therefore it must not be God. 
It's just emotionalism, a bunch of hype. It's outside of my box, maybe outside of my doctrinal understanding. Let me tell you something, too. God really touched my life back years ago. I shared and God's been moving. You know, there was a time, 2003 time frame, you know, there was healings that were happening. There was miracles. There was there was really cool things going on in the ministry. I mean, deliverances, people baptized in the Holy Spirit, revival. And that was all kind of what God did in my life through what he, how he touched me through Brownsville and in other ways and all of that, my personal walk. But it would have been easy to kind of settle into that and get, you know, you know what I'm talking about when I get talk about getting stuck in a rut, you know, just kind of get, it would have been easy to get into that and get comfortable with that. But whenever I heard about other moves of God, specifically when I heard about um, the Bay of the Holy Spirit revival, and there was others. But I remember when I heard about the Bay of the Holy Spirit, it was totally different than Brownsville, very different. And I wanted to go. I wanted to, you know, whatever God's doing now. But here's the thing. Are you willing to not get too comfortable and settled in, but to keep moving with the Lord? The children of Israel, the, the, the fire would lift, and the glory would move, and they would go with the glory. Are you willing to keep going with the glory? Because I could have been stuck in this thing and been like, well, that's good for them, you know. We got our thing going here. Or you can get excited about, hey, look, revival's happening. God's moving. It may be different than what I'm used to, but I want to go. Even in the revival in Lakeland, I honor what God did. And God actually brought somebody to us in our backyard, so to speak, where God really touched us. And I've, I've honored the revivals that have been going on with Bethel. And there was a temporary uh, move of God that was going on at IHOP for a time. Hey, you know, that's wonderful. And I've had the opportunity to be able to get, you know, connected with those moves of God in one way or another. But I, I want what God's doing. And you know what? Five years down the road, there's going to be another revival, another move of God. It's probably going to look different, different people involved. And I want to be open to receiving that impartation and get in the flow of what God's doing then. Because listen, I want a fresh anointing on my life. Everybody say fresh anointing. There's nothing more dead and more pitiful than somebody that used to have an anointing that has lost that fresh anointing. There's nothing more dead than a Pentecostal church that used to be full of fire that now you can hear the crickets chirp. You know what I'm talking about in the service? It's just dead. And I don't want things to get where it's like sterile. And we've got to stay holy, number one, but you've also got to stay in the move of the Spirit. I want a fresh anointing on my life today. You know, while I was, I was thinking about outcry coming up, and I remember just praying to the Lord today and yesterday. I was like, Lord, Give us a fresh anointing. Give me a fresh anointing, a 
a fresh anointing for what you're about to do, a fresh anointing for those that are coming. And I believe he gave us a fresh anointing tonight. <laughs> but I want a fresh anointing. I want a fresh touch from him on my life. I don't want to start talking about yesterday. You know, Duncan Campbell was used so powerfully of God. But then, you know, it, it faded. Listen, all of us have got to be careful that, you know, you don't dwell on past victories too much. You start talking about what God did. Oh, I remember when God healed so-and-so. I remember this and I remember the great revivals. Listen, that can quickly turn into a religious spirit. What's going on now, man? What's going on now in your life? What's going on now in your church? What's God speaking to you now? What's happening now when you're praying for people? We're talking about yesterday. Another thing to watch out for is pride after victory. I've seen some people really used in revivals, really used powerfully by the Spirit of God, that after they were used, they got prideful. Watch out. Like I said earlier, I believe that's one of the reasons why they start persecuting other things, because pride. You know, I don't feel like I got some kind of a, you know, monopoly. I don't feel like I've got some kind of a, a special thing with God where God's going to check with me before he does something. How ridiculous. Or if God's going to do something, surely he's going to do it through me. Yeah, okay. You know, I mean, God's a big God. He's got a really big kingdom. He's moving all over the world. You know, he's using a lot of people. You know how many knows we're just average person, average Joe, okay? We're nothing special. But God still wants to use all of us in a powerful way. And I want to be humble enough where, you know, God's hand could be on somebody. And I remember during the revival, that one of the revivals I, I saw, that there was the hand of the Lord was so powerfully one time upon the children in the children's church. And they took the little kids. This is a true story. They took the little kids and put them up on the table. And so they were all, you know, about five, six foot high on the table. And they had the adults come in and the little kids are praying for them. And the power of God was slamming them. And let me tell you, and this was their mommy and daddy. You know, it takes humility to let your little your little kid that you're raising, that you've got to change their diaper type thing, you know what I'm saying? You know their issues. Okay, you're letting your little kid <laughs> that you just had to whip three days ago on the table, you know, praying for you. But listen, I want to have enough humility where God could do that. In a practical sense, let me tell you real fast, I close with this. Keep praising the Lord through into your promised land. Don't start grumbling and complaining. I felt the Lord tell me that some people would probably cross over the promised land quicker than others because of grumbling and complaining. The second thing is remember.